here's where we are. We started the, the, the uh, King David came to the throne in somewhere around 1050 BC. Uh, Pastor Joshua talked about King David uh, a few weeks ago, highlighting uh, his two biggest stories, his, uh, his big triumph over Goliath and then his big failure with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And uh, before we go on to King Jeroboam this morning, I want to just hit rewind here. That's rewind is the button that you used to push on a, on a cassette player. It's these, anyway. Um, so, or skip backwards, skip track. Um, and uh, uh, to, to talk about one thing with King David. Um, one story that gets overlooked often is, is very important. So I want to tell this story real quick, and then we're going to go forward. So can you follow me here? I hope I won't confuse you. But here we go. Um, King David, um, sorry, I thought I say David in 1050, Saul in 1050, obviously. David in 1010. Um, so here's David right here dancing. I don't know if David was a good dancer or not, but his wife did not believe he was. I know personally I am a phenomenal dancer, but my children disagree with me. But they are rebellious. David danced like crazy when the Ark of the Covenant came back into Jerusalem. He welcomed the presence of God. This was the box that held the Ten Commandments in it, that held manna from the wilderness, and also held Aaron's rod. Um, so it, it was said to house the presence of God, and it was this incredibly important um, artifact and center of their worship. And it had been uh, uh, gone. It had been sort of in exile. The Philistines had stolen it, and the, the, uh, um, the Israelites got it back but didn't want to bring it all the way in because they were scared to death of it, probably because they watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, so understandable if you can remember the things that happened in that movie. I, faces melting and such. Um, David was so happy when this thing came. He, he danced like crazy. His wife rolled her eyes. And that's a lot of times where we end the story. But there, the story, the real story is what happens right after this. David is so excited about this that he's, he's walking around, this is how I picture it, and pacing upstairs in his bedroom that night. And you know David, his, his mind's always going. And he's, he's hyper and he wants to do stuff all the time, so it's probably the middle of the night, and he has this epiphany that he has this amazing house, but here's the Ark of the Covenant that holds God's presence, and all it gets is a tent. And he says, that ain't right. That ain't right! Well, that was louder than I thought I could get this morning. False. So, he, 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 he pulls out his graph paper and he grabs his, his protractor and his compass and he starts making all these elaborate plans and he calls the servant says get the prophet in here get, get the prophet get the prophet so he's going and his mind's racing and the prophet comes in it's Nathan the prophet uh, Nathan. by the way my brother Nathan's here this morning here he's right there right yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. were you named after the prophet do you know we did name our son after him Sort of. No, we did. I'm just kidding. So it's always good, but we live so far away from all our family that um, it's really nice when somebody comes all the way out here to the West Coast to visit us. So anyway, sorry. Um, the, uh, Nathan the prophet comes in, and David's like, okay, oh, here's what I'm seeing. Can you imagine an outer court? And then you come in here and it'll be laid out just like the tabernacle, and then you come in here and you go to the inner court. 
And then you come in the middle, the government would be here, and it would be gold, and it would be... And Nathan's just back here chuckling to himself, you know? Oh, Dave, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm making that part up, you realize. I forget to remind people that I'm making up parts of the story. Hopefully you guys can work out the made-up parts from the real parts. <laughs> the Bible says don't add or detract from the scriptures. Huh? Um, so, so here he is, and, and Nathan's like, man, that's a great idea, Dave. Do it. Do it, bro. I'm going back to bed. He leaves the palace, but before he can even step all the way out, the word of the Lord comes to him, bam, and it's so clear, and it's so vivid, he has to turn around right then and go back and tell David. David is still pacing, still sketching. Nathan walks back in and says, hey, Dave, the Lord just spoke to me, and actually it's going to be different than what you wanted. Um, well, you're, you, can't, you can't be the one. Um, but here's God's answer, okay? Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the, on the earth. You see what he's doing? He's panning back on David. This is never, I've never needed a house before. I moved around in, the, in, in the, the tent and I've been faithful to you even with this. So it's an interesting request here, David. Now he continues. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. I don't know how this gets missed. I've heard people talk about how angry God was in telling David no. Like, you're, you're a, a man of war. And that's true. That's the, the, one of the reasons the Lord states that he can't build the temple. But look, what God, look at his response. David, you're not going to build me a house. Instead, I'm going to build you a house. And look at what this meant. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come uh, forth from you and I will establish his kingdom, your sons. He shall build a house for my name. Solomon will build a temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Is that a rebuke? No. He's given the most incredible promise that you can imagine. David doesn't even fully understand it. He's picturing a physical kingdom and a physical throne forever. He's talking about the Messiah himself is going to come from David's lineage. And it happened right after David offered to build a temple for God. Isn't that beautiful? So there's David. He's not allowed to build the temple. That's okay. He accepts the word of the Lord. It comes and he says... All right. In fact, you know what he does? He does everything he can do to get his son ready to build the temple. He orders all the supplies, Home Depots for 50 miles around, run out of material. He gets cedars of Lebanon, like, cut down, like, brought outside this. I mean, everything's ready when Solomon gets it. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. So there's David. David dies, um, and... Uh, 
And his son Solomon takes over, and just as the Lord said, Solomon would go on to build the temple. Now, Solomon, um, as Pastor Joshua said, uh, started out really well, started out uh, full of wisdom, full of promise, and then his own vices took over and led him into idolatry and all kinds of sin. And the kingdom had to be taken away from him. Uh, So he made God mad, but he also made his people very, very angry. Now, I don't know if any of you guys ever get in a position of being a monarch. I would not recommend forced labor. It (laughs) It doesn't go well with your people. It just doesn't. And Solomon, for whatever reason, seems to be surprised by this, that they're ticked off at him because it's not just the temple. Then it's his his palace, and his palace takes way longer to build than the temple, by the way, and I don't know what that tells you about his ego. Um, But then he starts building storage cities and and all of these places, and it gets overwhelming, and the people are fed up. And one of the people it mentions that was fed up was a young man named Jeroboam. But Jeroboam, he's often mentioned in the same breath as Rehoboam, and that can get confusing. So we're just going to call him Jerry. Can we do that? Can we go with Jerry? So... Jerry, this young man, uh, was very angry, and uh, he, he, he was also, though, very faithful for the king. I mean, he, he had been in a, in a place of, of leadership, but Jeroboam now comes front and center. So let's, let's look at who this man is. Um, here's a picture this would have been later in life, um, the resolution. The original photographer had kind of a bad angle, but we'll just have to go with it. Um, beggars can't be choosers, guys. Come on. So <laughs> Jeroboam, who was he? He was an official of King Solomon. He was valiant warrior, it says. So it could have been that he had uh, worked with the king's army. Um, he was a valiant warrior. He was an excellent worker and leader. He was very efficient. He, was, uh, uh, he knew what he was doing to the point that he got noticed by the king and put over all the forest labor for, his, for labor for his entire tribe and the other tribe of Joseph. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. So he was put in charge of all of Ephraim and the tribe of Almanasseh in Solomon's building projects. Now, he hated Solomon's building projects, but he must have at least got them done because Solomon liked his results. So all this time, he's working for the king, and I'm sure he's letting his uh, concerns be known often, and uh, he, people start looking up to him. Are you still with me? Going through a lot of names here and things. Are we, should I slow down? Are we okay? Okay. All right. So, um, so Solomon, he, um, or excuse me, uh, Jerry here is... Uh, a, a well-known guy in his circles. And one day, the prophet finds him. It came about when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now, Ahijah had clothed himself with a new cloak that he got for Christmas, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of his new cloak, which was on him, and he tore it into 12 pieces. Now, First of all, this is a big deal because they don't have multiple changes of clothes like we do. You know, a wealthier person might have two cloaks. He's got a brand new one. He's loving it. He, was prob- he probably worked really hard for it and thought it was like a gift from the Lord. And he's like, thank you so much. And the Lord says, cut it out. He's like, oh, man. 
Okay, that's my imagination. Um, so here he is. He, he takes this thing off, and if, if you're Jerry watching this, you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're, you're a prophet. Like, you, I know how much you prophets make, and it's not much. What are you doing? And he cuts it into 12 pieces, and now he's got his attention. He said to Jerry, take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, the current king, and give you 10 tribes because they have forsaken me. They have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Milcorin, the god of the sons of Ammon, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and observing my statutes and my ordinances as his father David did. So he's talking about Solomon's idolatry here. Take 10 tribes. I'm going to give them to you and take them away from the king. There's only 12 tribes, guys. Imagine what he's feeling right now. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose, who observed my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and give it to you, 10 tribes. Wow. Notice the esteem of David is still so high that he's letting Solomon live out his reign before he takes it away from him. So Jeroboam, I'm sure, had a great mix of emotions. I'm sure he had uh, um, a bit of uh, uh, a desire to do greater things, right? But at the same time, this is a really big deal. To, to, the kingdom is going to break apart? What in the world? We don't know if he told anyone or if he pondered these things in his heart like Mary. We don't know what he did. But the king caught wind of this conversation. Take another drink here. You guys are so patient. I love you guys. The king catches word of it. Oh, sorry. I forgot this last part of the the prophecy here. Then it will be that if you listen, so this is, again, the prophet talking to Jerry. If you listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David. And I will give Israel to you. Thus, I will afflict the descendants of David for this, but not always. So it will be a temporary judgment on on the house of David, on on the tribe of Judah. But he's going to restore them. But he says, Jerry, follow what David did, and you will be blessed. Very vivid. There's no mincing words here. It's very, very clear. So the king catches wind of this conversation. And this would have been a great opportunity for Solomon to go, whoa, whoa, the the Lord is going to punish me for, I have messed up. I've led the entire nation into idolatry. I've done everything he told me not to do. This would be a great time to turn and repent to the Lord. But he doesn't. In fact, he does the opposite. Somebody tells him about it, and he says, who was that, Jerry? Jerry from Ephraim? Well, we need to kill Jerry. They go after him. And he has to flee the land. He flees to Egypt. And he waits. He waits for Solomon to die. Because now he's public enemy number one. So, two stories, two different men. First we have David, the one who wants to build a house for the Lord. Uh, another here we have Jerry, who has been put in this situation. But they have some very interesting parallels, if you think about it. 
Both of them were faithful servants of a king who's gone mad, really. They had established themselves. They had been faithful in all that they had done. And uh, now the, the king is in a, a, a terrible place and trying to kill them, though they'd been faithful. They're both very skilled in multiple ways. They're both warriors. They're both good leaders. They both have a lot of promise. And the word of the Lord both comes to both of them before they ever inherit any kingdom and says, you are going to inherit a kingdom. And both of them actually have to flee. They go into exile and they don't go after the king. Very interesting. Jerry starts very well. Um, even more significantly for our purposes this morning, both of them are builders and reformers. We go back to our timeline here. Solomon in 970 becomes king. He reigns for about 40 years. And in 930, Solomon dies. Um, and, uh, and the 12 tribes of Israel decide to meet together to decide who's going to be their king. Are they going to let Solomon's son now rule over them? Because remember, Solomon's very unpopular. Very unpopular dude from all the forced labor. And so the, the tribes are getting together, deciding. It's a very interesting situation. It is a monarchy, but there was a bit of representation here because they were going to essentially elect the new king. Are we going to let him be king over us or not? And so Solomon's son, little guy, little weasel named Rehoboam, he, he doesn't know what to do, and he's sort of caught, which should I do? So finally he does the thing, <laughs> dumbest thing he could have done, and promised that he would be twice as hard as his father was on all the people. Yeah, great idea. So um, shockingly, the tribes go back and say, well, then you're not going to be our king. Bye. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You read it, and it's like, well, to our tents then, Israel. You're not our king. And that's what he does. He tries to send his, his main foreman who was over all the building projects, he tries to send them to them to like, no, the king said, and you know what they do? They stone him right then and there. It's like, no, go away. We're not gonna have him be our king. It happened so quickly. It was incredible. But from, from that point, this is, this is an earth-shattering event in the history of Israel. The kingdom splits something that David, I think, could never have imagined after joining them all together and after, they, 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 you know, they're, they're one, they're, they're, the, they're the sons of promise. They're, and now they're split in two. Terrible. Well, the northern tribes, uh, they refuse to follow Rehoboam, but the southern tribes uh, of Judah and Benjamin follow him. The north then um, chooses who else? Jeroboam. Jerry comes back for the event. Somebody sends him an invitation. Hey, Jer, king's dead. Party at my place. He comes and he waltzes in and they're like, Jerry's here. Jerry, you're the new king. And he takes it. He's excited. And boom, civil war almost immediately. I'll show you what, what happens here. Here are, here's a map of the two. Now, obviously, you've got the northern kingdom. Now, from here on out, the northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Now, this gets extremely confusing when you're reading, okay? Here's the problem. If you don't realize there are two kingdoms, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But they start to relate on what king 
when he started based on the reign of the king in the other kingdom. Does that make sense? So it'll say like, well, when, when Tom over here became king, he reigned for 14 years in Judah, and then Billy becomes king of Israel at that time. So it becomes really confusing. Um, and even more confusing, sometimes there's, there's at least one time when the, the kings have the same name. It's horrible. I'm like, really, was Jehoram that popular a name? They couldn't have done... All right. So here we go. We've got the two kingdoms, north and south. You can see the north is bigger, right? Now I'm going to zoom in here. Okay, the north has more people, has uh, you know, more tribes, obviously, um, and uh, a bigger uh, uh, piece of land, but the, the south has one very distinct advantage, and it's right here, this thing, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not in the northern kingdom. Jerusalem's in the southern kingdom of Judah, okay? So that means... He's got problems. Jerry's got problems right away, and he realizes it. Because this is the thing. If there's one thing that defined the people of Israel, it was the temple. Because the temple is where they worshiped. And where they worshiped, that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. And that's where the history is. And that's where the promise is. So now, you've got two kingdoms politically separate, but religiously still the same. And Jeroboam knows, because he's a savvy guy, he knows this is a problem. And the first few years, he just lets people go down and worship and come back, like, you know, at feast time. There's not open war in the beginning, so it's a, you know, feast time, they can cross and they can do their thing, they, just as long as they come back, whatever. But he knows this is, a, this is not a long-term strategy for success. So he decides to take matters into his own hands. He decides that what he needs to do is uh, um, find other places to worship, of course, the Levites won't go for that. The Levites are the tribe dedicated to the service of the temple. They all move south. Well, the temple's in that kingdom. They better go down there. So what does Jerry do? He appoints new priests. That was not part of the Mosaic law. In fact, it was a radical departure of the Mosaic law, and he finds new places to worship. He builds one right here. Look how close that is. A place called Bethel. That is 17 miles from Jerusalem and right on the road to the south. Okay, very shrewd move here by Jerry because he's saying, look, you don't have to go all the way down, but it's close enough. You see where it is, and it's basically going the same place. And, you know, people up north have such a long way to go, so let's build another one up there in Dan. So suddenly there's two new places of worship. They don't have to cross anymore. Everyone's happy. Um, kind of a problem here. Um, well, a couple of problems Let's look. You see the parallel here of uh, David wanting to build the place of worship for the Lord, the temple, and now Jerry wanting to do the same thing. So it's yet another parallel between the two. Uh, but what did Jerry's temple look like? Well, it wasn't like the Temple of Solomon. There were open-air shrines, uh, sort of with the big altars, but there's one piece that you need to see specifically. So here we got Jerry, the open-air Wonderful, except, can you see the top? You see what that is? It's a golden calf. Of all the things. When Israel was in the desert and they built a golden calf and Aaron just kind of freaked out 
And, you know, he's probably trying to go, well, it's sort of, you know, there's lots of Egyptian gods that are represented by a bull or whatever, and let's just, it was not real specific on the text. This is much more clear that they're surrounded by Canaanite culture, and the god Baal is represented everywhere by a bull. So he says, um, okay, we'll build these calves and say, behold, here's what he says, behold the God who brought you out of Egypt. Come and worship. That's a very shrewd move. See, here's the thing. He's looking, he's like, well, we'll make a place that's more convenient all the way down to Jerusalem. That's a little much, isn't it? And also, let's do one that's a little bit more up with the times. I mean, isn't it a little bit exclusive to, to make them worship Yahweh in the way that Yahweh says. Like, Yahweh and Baal are basically the same. I mean, that's what lots of people think. So let's just let people come and worship. Well, I don't think there needs to be a whole lot of commentary on that, does there? Okay. Um, So this was his solution. He was telling people, it's okay. Worship Baal and Yahweh together. It's all right. And so people did. So... This thing becomes a great sin to the people, the chronicler says. New priests, new feasts, new altars. It was all fresh and hip and so very convenient. And the entire nation bought into it. The entire nation. Then, behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel. I'm just going to tell this story. The altars are set, sacrifices are happening. Jeroboam himself is on the stage, is up, up high. And there's a man, a very mysterious man in the scripture who comes and he screams from the crowd. And I can't scream this morning, but he says, one day a prophet will come. Excuse me, not a prophet. A king will come. And he will tear down those altars and he will burn the bones of the very priests on these altars. And his name will be Josiah. Everybody stops. You ever been interrupted in a meeting and it's really awkward? And someone like, this would have been more than awkward. Everybody freezes. Jerry looks around. Who said that? And he makes eye contact with the man. The man says, and here's the sign. Your altar's going to split in half. Jerry points to him to say, seize him. And right when he does, the altar splits in two. And his hand freezes. It shrivels. He can't move it. Prophet comes. Thank you so much for praying for me. My hand is so much better now. So anyway, he goes right back to it. He does not turn. That prophet has his own story. But Jeroboam does not turn. So here's what you need to know about the beginning of the split of the kingdoms. Northern kingdom of Israel Every single king was wicked. And here's what it says about them. They walked in the sin of Jeroboam. Walked in the sin of Jeroboam. 
You start to wonder, what does that phrase mean? Well, it means ushering them into Baal worship. Specifically, not separating Baal worship from Yahweh, even, but leading them right to Baal. That's the sin of Jeroboam, and that's his legacy. Compare him with David. The southern kingdom goes on. It lasts longer than the northern kingdom. Almost all of their kings are wicked too, but there are some exceptions, thankfully, that give us a bit of a reprieve. And on the men that serve God, men like Asa or Jehoshaphat or or to a greater degree, Hezekiah and eventually, yes, Josiah, who did do exactly what the prophet said. Those men, it says this, he did according to all his father David had done. Both men left a powerful, powerful legacy in completely different directions. Jerry could have been like David, but he didn't. He did his own thing. He did something else. So, what happened then? So close, so many similarities, so much potential, so much talent. I think it was simply this. When the word of the Lord came, One responded and one didn't. It's as simple as that. When the word of the Lord came, one responded and one didn't. You guys, I really believe this. I believe that our legacies will largely be determined by how we respond when the word of the Lord comes. When we run across it, it it might come to us in Scripture. You might see, look in scripture and see, I am living opposite of what this says. Or it might come through conscience when the Lord just puts a finger on something in our hearts. Or it might come from, from a brother or sister in the Lord that, said, that comes and brings us the truth and it's like a punch in the gut and we know it's right. How are we gonna respond? Because I believe that moment is crucial. Those moments will determine our legacy. Each one of us here has a powerful future with what the Lord has, has, has laid out for us. And it's not our future, it's his. We all have a role to play in his kingdom. Most of us will be anonymous and praise God for that. We have a beautiful part that we can play in building his kingdom. But if the word of the Lord comes and we do nothing, then we walk in the sin of Jeroboam. If the word of the Lord comes and we do nothing, we miss out on so many beautiful things that he has. I don't know about you, but I want to be like David. Doug talked this morning about, let's stop with the resolutions and let's make commitment. I want to make a commitment that when the word of the Lord comes, I respond. That I hear and I say, you don't want me to build that temple? Well, then I won't build that temple. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank, thank you, Lord, that you do speak to us, that you do lead us into the ways of paths of righteousness for your namesake. And Lord, I just confess personally, there have been a lot of times, Lord, that you have nudged me towards something and I knew you were speaking and I, and I, and I put it off. Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to be one who puts it off. Lord, I want to commit myself to responding when you speak in the way that you speak. I'm going to commit myself, Lord, that this year, this year I become more like like David. 
pray that for all of us, Lord. May we be quick to turn our faces to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys, have a wonderful, happy new year. Thank you so much for being a part of our family.